I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary series, Escaping Twin Flames. There are accusations of forced labor, sex trafficking, and things of the like that I, I want to make sure You're that... you their own will, though? I'm not sure if course of control counts as own will. Today, we're talking to filmmakers Cecilia Peck and Inbal Lesner. Thousands of people looking for their soulmate turn to Jeff and Shalia Ayan, the leaders of Twin Flames Universe. Their expensive online courses promised members would find their true loves, but followers found themselves in toxic relationships convinced by their leaders there was only one person for them. The online cult was better at making money than finding love, so the Ions began matching followers with one another. Though many had identified as straight and cis, they were paired with same-sex partners and prodded to rethink their gender identity. The Netflix documentary series Escaping Twin Flames examines the controversial online community, brings us into Jeff and Shalia's online classroom, and tells the stories of those hurt by its teachings. The series asks whether anything can actually be done to stop it from taking advantage of people who are only looking for love. This is somebody who's been in for a while, knows all the right things to say to keep people happy. And there's not a word of truth to it. And I'm joined by filmmakers Cecilia Peck and Inbal Lesner. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having us. So we'll talk about Jeff and Shalia and the Twin Flames philosophy in just a minute. But for the sake of our discussion, I'm wondering, you know, can we call the Twin Flames universe a cult? And I'm wondering, between the two of you, what term do you use to describe it, if you don't mind my asking that question? The former members who we interviewed, as well as the mothers of children who are still inside this cult, they believe it's a cult. Hmm. Uh, They've this group identified and recruited uh, through, you know, their very charming, lovely website, people who were very capable of growing the organization. And we look into why people clicked on it for the first time. You know, people Googling, is there such a thing as true love? Is there a soulmate out there for me? And people who had abilities to design websites or do video editing or create spreadsheets, anything people could do, which was a value to the group, were promoted and their lives were slowly taken over by the group. So it's an organization that came to completely control people's lives. And that's cultic property. Hmm. So you both worked on a notable TV series in this field. It was called Seduced, and it looked at the Nexium MLM uh, and sex cult. And I'm wondering, Inbal, did this feel like a return to a familiar topic? I mean, did you see strong ties and thematic ties between these two organizations? Well, for sure, this is a continuation of our work in this space or in, in this field. Um, the reason Escaping Twill and Flames came to be was because when we released Seduced inside the Nexium cult on Stars. We also built a website for it. 
with the collaboration of the former Nexium members. And through that website, we received a flood of emails, messages from uh, members of other cults, from people who survived coercive relationships, from people who identified those dynamics in their churches or their workplace. Um, so the stories came to us and the mothers of current Twin Flame members approached us and asked us to take it on. And we felt now that we've gone through years of studying this and exploring what really happens in this groups that we have the responsibility to use what we've learned to continue this work. Mm. You know, Keely, who is at the center of our show, contacted us the day after she left Twin Flames Universe. Mm. So the story really found us. And it's, uh, yes, it's a continuation of our work. We definitely noticed the same patterns the in different names, uh, same manipulation techniques, same indoctrination, same patterns of abuse. Uh, it's very much interconnected. Hmm. Cecilia, how did you make connections with more people who had been members? I mean, are, are these people reluctant to tell their stories generally? Are they reluctant to go on record? Um, because there are aspects of these stories that are so unbelievably intimate and difficult and lines that were crossed sometimes, the behavior that people did when they were sort of under the thrall of these teachings, right? As Inbell said, we, we have a website, seducedocumentary.com, which offers information and resources for people leaving cults. And we began to hear from people who were leaving Twin Flames Universe. Uh, as Inbal said, Keely contacted us within a few days of leaving that cult. And she, in turn, introduced us to other former members. And we began to assemble a whole network of people who really became crusaders against injustice. They wanted to share their stories because they believed that it would help other people both to leave this cult and other cults and to educate people about the red flags and warning signs of these coercive kinds of groups. So we often say um, on this podcast and other podcasts that we do that it doesn't seem like you're really running a cult if you haven't filmed almost everything you do for posterity. And so much of your video comes from a very contemporary source, Zoom calls, right? Video, phone calls. We see Keely pull out a hard drive with these videos on it. And I'm wondering what that discovery meant. Did you already know that you would have access to all of these videos when you started this project? Yes. Uh, we didn't know how much. We <laughs> definitely grew by the day. So we started receiving pieces of videos from Keely and other whistleblowers from inside the cult. So at one point... This drive was the master drive for Twin Flames Universe. It was uh, given to me by someone who had lost their leadership position. Um, and the instructions were just keep it safe. There are also a lot of public videos on YouTube that we can all see and access, you and I. And, you know, that shows a very different sort of side of the group. So there's the public Jeff and Shalia on YouTube, where they seem like a lovely couple trying to help others find the type of true love that they have obtained. And then there is the, as you noted, the hours and hours of classes. Those were sold to live students. And 
then repackaged and sold to additional students who bought and watched them. And so those were many hundreds of hours. And then on top of that, we had exclusive footage from private business meetings that we were mm. able to obtain. Um, and that is a very different Jeff and Shalia. That's where you really see, I think, the abusive and most criminal moments and actions. I agree with that. And I'm wondering if Cecilia, you know, when you're going through all these hours of raw video, did it confirm some of the suspicions that you were already developing as you were making this film? Or did it open up brand new avenues of exploration? You know, when you're when you're working as a journalist and you turn a page, suddenly sometimes you just discover something brand new and it starts you down a road that you weren't planning to go down. Did that happen when you were making this project? So many cults share similar tactics of the way they initially encourage people to join and compliment them and draw you in by making you feel like you are very special and you have a lot to offer to this group. I think what was so different about this one is the way they repurposed this twin flames concept, you know, which is an ancient idea in different philosophies, but they kind of repackaged it in a way that enabled them to gain control over people's lives. You know, just the idea that we all want love. And then they started to pair people together in a way that benefited their organization. Hmm. I do want to get into their origin story a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about who Jeff and Shalia Ian are? Because I feel like we kind of get dropped into the part of their story where they are seeing themselves as experts, right? Teaching people about this philosophy as if they have invented it. But who do, what do we know about who they are, uh, where they came from, like how they got here? Do we know more about that? So in episode one, we see, we meet journalist Sarah Berman, who wrote the first ever piece about Twin Flames universe for Vice. She looked into the background of both Jeff and Shalia, how this Canadian girl, Megan Plant is her name from Canada, came across, uh, met online. This is Jeff's spiritual healing website pre-TFU. And he says, are you suffering from a life-threatening or serious ailment? Jeff Ian has been gifted with the ability to see into the root cause of your ailment and help you heal it for good. So it's just uh, about how he can heal cancer and any other issue for a price. I have to say that we were, while we included some of this background information, it's really not the focus of our series. Our point of view is really different. We are survivor-centered. We have the stories of the women who survived this group is really the center of our story and not so much what got Jeff and Shalia to where they are. I can tell you that the image that they presented was positive, supportive, was something that was attractive to the members. You see Marley saying she was so outgoing, had the characteristics she wanted for herself. You know, I think what is interesting to us is the tactics they used to recruit and indoctrinate and then abuse their members and not so much what the psychology of what drives them, them to do these things. 
It's interesting to me. I mean, uh, Nexium seemed to initially attract members who were looking for some sort of self-improvement. Very often it was like business coaching or success in their acting careers. And it seemed like the Twin Flames universe, especially initially, was attracting I don't want to say it's all like the brokenhearted, but people who really are seeking personal connection. And there is this one thread that comes up a couple of times that Jeff and Shalia are telling people uh, around this concept that either someone they don't know or someone that is actually already in their life, uh, notably a couple of times an ex-partner, is actually a person that they're actually meant to be with. And that's a very intoxicating and powerful message to a brokenhearted person, right? They weren't all, I mean, some were brokenhearted, yes, but they were also just people looking for a deeper kind of love. How yeah. do I find that feeling that I've been hoping for? Is there somebody who's, who's out there for me? I don't think we feel that people needed to be especially broken or vulnerable. These leaders are so skilled at attracting the interest of people looking for love. I actually think any of us could have been vulnerable, maybe particularly so when you've just gone through a breakup or something difficult or sad in your life and, and you're looking online. And during the pandemic, so many people were spending more and more time online. And this group came along at the right time and, mm. and was able to captivate looking for something, I think, very normal and very universal, just a search for love. Jeff and Shalia didn't invent the concept of twin flames, right? That is, but they, they sort of present as if they did. But this isn't a brand new concept that they invented whole cloth. Not at all. It's a very, seems to be a very common spiritual concept. There are some notable celebrity couples that consider themselves twin flames. So when people come across the concept and they search them, I guess they do enough Google targeted heads and YouTube algorithms somehow led a lot of these people who were uh, exploring, searching, researching to Jeff and Shalia. So they co-opted a very popular spiritual concept and that's how they attract people into Twin Flames universe that was supposed to be a school still active, by the way, for uh, relationship coaching, how to find or improve the relationship with your one and only destined partner, soulmate, even, you know, I guess people who know more about these things would can go on about the difference between a soulmate and a twin flame. But it's all, for me, it's all the same idea of one life long partner who's going to be with you in this lifetime and other lifetimes, that's really the one person you're supposed to be with. The interesting thing, if you've just been through a breakup, a good friend might tell you, you know, let's go out for a hike or a coffee and forget about him. Mm. What Jeff and Shalia did is double down on this very normal tendency to ruminate in those thoughts and feelings about the person you just broke up with and say, oh, no, this is your twin flame. This is the person you're always supposed to be with. And doesn't matter if they want you or not, doesn't matter how good was the relationship, we're going to get them back. And right. we're going to, uh, you know, help you regain connection and convince the other person that they're really your partner for life. So it became quite dangerous and uh, manipulative. 
Also dangerous, too, to um, encourage people to partner with virtual strangers, people that weren't great for them, right? Like uh, that maybe the relationships weren't particularly healthy and just keep trying, keep at it. It was interesting to me to wonder if Jeff and Shalia saw these relationships and it, it was all the blame was basically put on the cult victim for when the relationship wasn't working out and never it was like it was like it's your fault it's not it's not it's not the twin flames fault it's not our fault you are not doing something right and that is the way of kind of keeping them in the system right i think as uh, sarah says in the series something like if there wasn't anything wrong with us, there was nothing to work on. So she mm. suggests that they did make their money and were able to encourage people to buy another coaching session or another round of classes because they felt that they constantly weren't ascending on the spiritual path, that there was something wrong with them. They were always looking for how they were at fault. And with the twin flames concept, which does sound so initially romantic and appealing. They told people that you have to be a honey badger of love, that you had to do whatever it took to be with your twin flame. And when you showed that you were willing to pursue someone no matter what, even if they were already married, already in another relationship, then you were praised and congratulated and promoted within the group because you were showing that you were strong enough to better yourself and to do the spiritual work that they recommended. None of it fucking matters because you're his twin flame and this is your union. Mm-hmm. And this trumps everything. This is what we've been telling everyone since day one. All the mm-hmm. bullshit, all the nonsense, all the fuckery, all the personal protection orders, all the ex-girlfriends, wives, husbands, marriage, kids, all those things are trumped by this one simple thing. Yeah. Your twin flame union. That's partly how the coercion worked, was really pushing people to go after whoever Jeff and Shalia told you was your twin flame no matter what. I'm wondering about the money part of this. I mean, we know they charge for these online courses. Were there other ways that Jeff and Shalia were making money through this enterprise? Well, at some point you see in episode two that they come up with the Church of Union. They set up a nonprofit umbrella for all their for-profit organizations. There was a divine dish program. There was a meal prep program where they basically just sold you recipes for very high calorie food. So there's some body control and and diet control through that program. And that was $100 a month just to get those recipes. And there were the video classes you could pay to be on a live class. And then you also pay to get all these recorded classes and watch them again and again. You were encouraged to watch at least one 90-minute class per day. And some people watched multiple classes. So I think Actually, on that topic, I think something that people may not realize when they watch this story distilled down to three sort of neat episodes on Netflix is that when they see Jeff saying something outrageous for 10 seconds, this was packaged within a 90-minute word salad. So you start watching these videos day in and day out, and it sort of has this hypnotic quality to it. And hidden between that mountain of words is are those moments that feel very manipulative and outrageous. But when you listen to hours and hours of classes, you may not recognize it as a participant. 
as filmmakers, our job was to go through these nearly thousands hours of archive and pull those moments so that the manipulation is clear. But yeah, you paid for these classes, you paid for private coaching sessions, you paid premium price for private coaching sessions with Jeff, $1,000 an hour or more. They had they started a gaming company called Divine Gaming. There was a lot of income streams that were um, created by the members and then co-opted by Jeff. Hmm. And of course, they drew very much on the talents of people who were also members, had them work for them as well. And, you know, after making all this money, they decide, as you said, to set up uh, this church business umbrella structure. Jeff even begins to adopt this uh, messianic appearance. You know, he actually compares himself physically to the imagery of Jesus that you very often see, you know, in certain places. I'm wondering, the people that you spoke to, did they get the sense that this was part of an act of his or that he actually had a God complex of sorts? Did you guys get a sense of that at all? I think it was both. Those images were images of me. Not a a Jewish guy from Israel, but uh, a Euro guy with blue eyes and brown hair. The image of, you know, the Christ was actually me, the second coming, not Jesus, the first coming. His becoming, you know, in appearance more Christ-like and announcing himself as the second coming of Christ coincided uh, more or less with turning the organization into a religion with tax-exempt status. It was also somewhat gradual. They had always had spiritual concepts. So the former members who talked to us about how they were able to accept that premise and even, you know, stay with the group once he started calling himself the second coming of Christ kind of described it as another eccentricity of his and it was so gradual in a sense that they it didn't come along as something shocking. I mean, obviously, that's a question is once he was saying that, how did intelligent, educated people stay in this group? You know, he presented himself as this flamboyant, eccentric figure with a lot of flair, and he kind of snuck it in. Twin Flames then makes this shift from their previous playbook in this way that, you know, we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. But um, Jeff declares that the members Twin Flames are not necessarily in the outside world, that they're perhaps among the existing members of the organization. And they begin to match people together, uh, many of them pairs of women. And they convince one that they're, quote, a divine masculine and the other, quote, divine feminine. And they start pushing some, potentially pushing some toward a gender transition. And there's a lot to unpack here, and we will. But is there any explanation for why it is that they moved their teachings in this direction? Is, is there any sense of that that you were able to get from your subjects? I think the biggest sense is that there was a growing frustration, and you see that in the series. There was a growing frustration from members, mainly women that we talked to who were there, for a year or two or more, they were paying a lot of money, they were investing a lot of time, they were being coached and coaching others, and they were seeing no progress in their romantic love life. They hmm. still were not anywhere closer to their 
twin flames, quote unquote, than when they started. And some of them were even farther apart because they have driven them away. And of course, that was their fault, according to the teachings. But you start seeing people being frustrated and maybe leaving, and they needed to pivot really quickly to see what they can do to retain these paying members. So I think it was a business decision above all, but you also seeing Jeff testing the limits of his control. And by then, the people that were paired were indoctrinated to a point where they would accept almost anything. And right. a lot of people left right after the divine pairings were announced. But those who were already indoctrinated and really strong believers went very far in. Now, I'm wondering, Cecilia, if you can uh, talk to me about how you approach telling this part of the story, because it struck me that this was a very fine line, a difficult line to walk and um, in terms of storytelling, because there are people here potentially taking on a new gender identity that might not be who they are in some cases, and it might be who they are in some cases. And um, as we hear in the film, this feeds into some anti-trans propaganda, right? What What is potentially happening here? And you want to make it clear that that's not what your film is doing, but that is kind of what potentially this cult is doing. So you guys probably had a lot of discussions about this when you were making this documentary, right? Absolutely. Uh, of course we did. And we had Glad as our consultants who reviewed everything in the series, as well as Dr. Cassius Adair, who teaches gender studies, is was um, a very important consultant also who's transgender himself. And also we reviewed hours and hours and hours of tapes of people who were being told that they had to transition. They didn't make that choice for themselves. I don't hear in the testimony of the people in Twin Flames universe something like, I want to get closer to who I am. What I'm hearing them say is, I want to get closer to who I'm supposed to be. That uh, that raises a red flag for me. That doesn't feel right to me. I think another reason the group um, went in this direction, as according to the former members, was that Twin Flames Universe had mainly women in it. As Inbaugh said, people hadn't had success in getting paired with their Twin Flames or repairing these broken relationships. Jeff and Shalia channeled these new pairings within the group and had to pair many women, same-sex couples together because there weren't enough men to go around. So that was the beginning of telling people that they needed to explore a different gender identity. But what's critical here was that they were told that. They weren't able to explore gender on their own. And yes, some of the former members may have authentically been trans, but we saw enough instances of people being forced to cut their hair, adopt male pronouns, and eventually even go on hormones that we, you know, feel confident that this wasn't about exploring or discovering your own gender identity. And of course, we hear from expert in your film that it is very, very harmful because you can't talk a person into being transgender any more than you can talk somebody out of being transgender. And it does feed into that anti-trans propaganda that it is a choice and not a person's real identity. And I, I just I found that part you handled that very sensitively and very well. And it just it just struck me that that there's something there that must have been very, very difficult and must have been required a lot of thought. So it is something we 
took very seriously from the get-go. We wanted to make sure we understand it fully as much as we could. We hired a gender-diverse team, and we had long weekly meetings about these scenes, what they mean, what needs to be said, what may not need to be said, how much we let the mothers speak authentically about their trepidations and concerns about these gender transitions and still be fair, as you said, that it's not out of the realm of possibility that some cisgender women, as Dr. Adair says in the show, may have gotten to that conclusion on their own. But when looking at the tapes and exploring hundreds and hundreds of hours and, and really looking at that moment they were told, then you hear their initial response, many of the members' initial response was of objection, of, mm. no, that's not who I am. And then the cult using their indoctrination techniques like the mirror exercise and mind alignment process uh, map to realign their thinking into what they needed them to be. And that doesn't happen overnight, but it happened It happened methodically and over and over again. They had those sessions where they would, healing sessions, they called them, where the members would sit for hours on Zoom and would not be allowed to leave the Zoom until they were convinced, until they accepted that they were, in fact, divine masculines and they were going to adopt this new gender identity that was forced onto them. So, you know, to me, that seems like very, very clear abuse and torture. Hmm. You know, there is an incredibly moving series of scenes with three of the mothers of people who are inside the Twin Flames universe. And the mothers are just so incredibly sensitive to all of this. And I think that they they come off just really sensitive and beautifully, and they just love their children so much and are themselves really grappling with a lot of these issues. And in the middle of one of these interviews, a mom gets a surprise text from their child, Ray, uh, who, who had cut off contact and who, whom she suspects of being coerced into transitioning. Um, um, what was that moment like when you were there and, and she got that surprise text message? The the mothers are so moving because um, of the way they support each other. And before they found each other, they felt so extremely alone and isolated and didn't have a support system or even a context for how to understand what had happened to their children because it was to them seemingly so, so rapid the way their children suddenly left. And in some cases, they've never heard from them again. And uh, yes, Debbie did receive that text while we were filming. You know, I take this, these, I just look at this. It's communication and it's an opening and it's a start. And I will do anything I can to get him to come home. It's not so much that Debbie believes Ray was coerced. She's just struggling to understand. Mm. How did this happen? Why didn't I ever see that in my child? She and all of the moms are working hard to accept their children for exactly who they are now. But they weren't prepared and they feel that Jeff took advantage of the fact that they weren't prepared by telling their children, you see, your parents don't support you. You need to cut them off. You won't be able to embrace who you who you really are unless you cut off your families. And that's 
predatory alienation. And it's a typical cult tactic to separate people from anyone who loves or understands or can support them or um, help them make decisions in their own best interest. Another really emotional scene in the film is a meeting between Keely, who'd been very high up in the ladder at Twin Flames, and Angie, um, whom she essentially ordered to do some fairly destructive things. How did that come together for the camera? And what was it like being in the room with those two women together? When Keely was in the group, she believed that what she was doing was helping people. She was deeply indoctrinated enough to believe that it was important for people for their own self-exploration or whatever she was told to encourage them to embrace a new gender or as they called it, explore a new gender. And I think it's been a very painful process for her to come to terms with what was actually happening and how she was being used herself to enforce what Jeff wanted people to do. So it was really during the course of making the series that she began to fully come to terms with and understand how what she had done had affected others. And and she began to realize how much she needed and wanted to make amends. So that came organically out of what she wanted to do. And she told us she was going to approach Angie and meet with Angie. And I think Dr. Yanya Lalich helped her a lot in understanding that she had been a deployable agent of Jeff's, but as such needed to make amends for what she had done. So they hadn't seen each other in, uh, I think, over two and a half years. They were both extremely anxious about the meeting. They allowed us to have, have the cameras there and capture them as they actually met each other for the first time after going through hell together. I'm so sorry for everything you went through. I know you are. I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to uh, have this like on me anymore. I know that you were going through like the same thing I was. I also think it's one of the most moving sequences in the in the series, and you don't often see people genuinely making amends and taking responsibility for things they did when they were indoctrinated. And we're just so grateful to them for being open enough and willing to be honest and share that part of their story. So what usually brings down these cults is their excesses crossed into criminal activity and leaders being taken down. But here the police say they aren't finding enough for a chargeable offense. Is Twin Flames doing anything outside the bounds of the law that they actually could be prosecuted for? Cults and coercion is not illegal in the United States. So the way Nexium went down and the way other groups can be stopped is through exposing other criminal activity. And that can be financial crimes and wrongdoings. That can be through wire fraud, through, and I'm just saying alleged, sex trafficking and labor fraud. Uh, So uh, free labor was definitely something we saw a pattern of again and again. So we tried to listen to all of these former members and gather their the evidence that they handed to us and present them in the most clear way. So no screenshot, no email, no text message was altered. 
you really see the real inside communication between the leaders and the members. You see black and white, you know, you see evidence of how they were coerced to do what they did. And I, you know, while it's not our job to prosecute them, we felt it's our responsibility to tell the story as accurately and clearly. And we hope that the authorities will pay attention and will listen to the public outrage and uh, look into it more seriously. So Keely and Marley both feel that they were sex trafficked, that they were encouraged or pushed hard or forced into relationships that they didn't choose for themselves and that they were then used as the poster children for the group of supposed successful twin flame harmonious union couples. So there are plenty of people who feel that they were sex trafficked, who were forced into relationships with strangers. Almost everyone in the group feels that they were victims of of forced labor. Everyone was working for free. And as you see in the series, Paula is compiling a lot of evidence of many different kinds of alleged crimes, including tax fraud. So as I was prepping for this interview, I did Google search Jeff and Shalia. And the, one of the first things that came up was their very active, robust social media presence, Instagram, Facebook, posting new videos, posting new content, inspirational stuff. Twin Flames, it's, it still seems fairly active. Um, is, that, is that accurate? So let me update you that about 24 hours after Escaping Twin Flames launched on Netflix, Twin Flames Universe shut down their social media in terms of you can't, you can no longer comment on anything. They shut that down. They started deleting. We hear um, reports that they started deleting a lot of their comments. They're cleaning up shop. You know, they're cleaning house, I guess, as they say. They're making sure that their public facing platforms are uh, not presenting anything that would be suspicious to authorities. There's definitely some activity that we were noticing in anticipation of the show dropping, um, some things that we're really concerned about. People are encouraged to move to Michigan. We were uh, very concerned tracking that. Again, we're hoping that there's enough public outrage that would inspire and propel the authorities to look more seriously into this and to shut down their recruitment and groups like it. Cecilia Peck and Inbal Lesnar, everybody is talking about this documentary, so I do think it has an excellent chance of making a difference, and it seems like it is already. Thank you so much for joining me on You Can't Make This Up to talk about escaping twin flames. It's truly outstanding work. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much, Rebecca. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Cecilia Peck and Inbal Lesnar. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. 